Whether packing for a destination vacation or planning a backyard staycation, Macy's has what you need. I'm going to throw out some brands for you here. Nina Parker, Vince Camuto, Dolce Vita, Levi's, Lacoste. I could go on. Shop summer's must-haves, summer dresses, match sets. I love a match set. Love a match set. Yeah, I know. Volume sleeve tops. What? Give it some volume. Espadrilles, wedges, straw, crafted bags, and so much more. Shop at Macy's.com slash own your style. If you love tequila cocktails, then check out the award-winning 21 Seeds Infused Tequila. It's a -a one-of-a-kind tequila that is infused with the juice of real fruit. So it's smooth, it's not sweet, it smells fresh and bright, and it tastes incredible. 21 Seeds makes the most delicious and easy margaritas and cocktails so you can focus on the fun, like game night with your besties. With 21 Seeds, you only need two or three ingredients to make your perfect cocktail. Try 21 Seeds Infused Tequila. Learn more at 21seeds.com. Enjoy responsibly 21 Seeds, Diageo, New York, New York. I'm Jenna Fisher. And I'm Angela Kinsey. We were on The Office together. And we're best friends. And now we're doing the Ultimate Office Rewatch podcast just for you. Each week, we will break down an episode of The Office and give exclusive behind-the-scenes stories that only two people who were there can tell you. We're The Office Ladies. I always want to say good morning. I know you do because it's 9.30 a.m. for us. I know, us. and I'm having a cup of tea. I'm having a cup of coffee. Hi, guys! <laughs> Today we are talking about two weeks, which is season five, episode 21, written by Aaron Shore and directed by Paul Lieberstein. As we were warming up today here in the studio, literally warming up because it was very cold. Yeah, it's freezing in here. And we were waiting for it to warm up. We were talking about how much we love writer Aaron Schur. Yes, Aaron, you're delightful. We are enjoying all your emails and just reconnecting with you. And you have the best stories. The best stories. It's no wonder they use so many stories from his real life in episodes. Here's a summary. At the end of the last episode, Michael told David Wallace he was quitting. And guess what? It's true. Yeah. He has given his official two weeks notice, and he has also given up on doing any work. Have you ever given a two weeks notice? I have. So have I. It's the most awkward two weeks when you're at your job, but everyone knows you're quitting. Yes. And it's true. You kind of (laughs) coast. I mean, I didn't walk around with, you know, Scotch and Splenda, but you kind of phone it in. Well, I gave two weeks notice at a job, and in that two weeks, it was my job to hire my replacement and train them. So I had to conduct interviews and put out a job posting and then create a handbook for my job for the next person. You had to do more work. I did. I did more work in my two weeks than ever before. I remember giving two weeks notice, and then when I was finally done with the two weeks, I got in my car... And guess what came on the radio? What? I'm free, <laughs> free falling. And I was like, it's a sign. Is that how you felt? Yes. Like in a good way. Not a bad free fall, like a good free fall. Yeah. You were done with that job. Sounds yeah. like you didn't like it. I did not like it. And you know what? I was a little bit of Michael Scott during my two weeks. Well, Michael is going to take a turn when he learns how bad the current job market is. He suddenly starts to panic, and in the end, he is going to start his own paper company, and he's going to start by trying to recruit Dunder Mifflin employees to work with him. But pretty much everyone says no. Except Pam. Pam! Pam is the only employee who is going to join Michael in his new adventure. The Michael Scott Paper Company. I love this runner. I do, too. Fast fact number one. When I was looking at the script for this episode, it aired on March 26th, 2009. That was my sister's 30th birthday. That same year, I turned 35. Mm -hmm. We're five years apart. And I remembered what we did for our birthdays to mark these milestone birthdays. What? All right. This is a story where my family back home is like, I cannot believe this is your life. And I always say, this is not my life. This is a moment. This is like a crazy thing that happened. A club in Vegas. I remember this. (laughs) This club in Vegas 
And I am so sorry. I cannot remember your name. Oh, Club no. in Vegas. I'm so sorry. I because so... I know so very little about clubbing in Vegas. But yeah. this one time in my life, this club in Vegas reached out and they said that they would fly out my friends, family, mm-hmm. whoever, give us an all-expense-paid trip to Vegas, a dinner. I remember this, Jenna, because I had a little baby. Yes. And I couldn't go. You couldn't go. And then you're texting me from Vegas. So I flew out my sister and her husband, and then I flew out Lee's brothers and sister. So it was like all of the brothers and sisters-in-law met in Vegas, and we partied hard, and it all kind of culminated in this club experience, which I'd never had before with bottle service, sparklers, sparklers, and cupcakes with my picture on them. Crazy, crazy. I have to tell you. So I wasn't able to go. And then the next year, the same club. Oh, my gosh. Club in Vegas. We don't remember we your name. We so sorry. The same the next year. It was really fun. We'll figure it out. And we'll definitely tag you in a photo yeah, in our we'll, stories. We'll figure it out. The next year, same club. Privé? In- with like an accent on the E? Yes. Yes. Okay. So the next year, the same club reached out to me and Mindy because Mindy's June 24th and I'm June 25th. And they said, we will throw you a joint birthday party in Vegas, fly you out the whole shebang. And Mindy and I were like, oh my gosh, remember Jenna talking about it? We should do it. Mindy, do you remember this? I remember this. And then whatever, we couldn't do it because we just had too many moving parts. But there was a split second where Mindy and I were in hair and makeup and we're like, should we go to Vegas for a birthday? Yeah. Oh my gosh, privé. Privé? I think it's privé. Privé. A delicious dinner, I have to say. Well, dang in their it. Dang it. Casino club area. It was pretty dang cool. That's a great flashback. Moving along to fast fact number 2. You mentioned scotch and Splenda. Yeah. Tastes like Splenda gets you drunk like scotch. Michael first mentioned this drink in season three cocktails when he was having drinks at David Wallace's house. That episode was written by Paul Lieberstein. This episode is directed by Paul Lieberstein. So Paul clearly loves his Scotch and Splenda. I found a recipe for Scotch and Splenda, and I thought we should have it today. Shut up. You're not. Wait, I haven't had, I didn't have much of a breakfast. Scotch. Oh my God, Jenna. Wait, Sam, did you know about this? Cassie? Cassie's getting the ice. Here's Cassie, the Splenda. Cassie, did you guys know? I didn't. Okay. And I, then I I've thought... I've had one pancake for breakfast. <laughs> only one. I thought we could drink it out of oh. our own office ladies' glasses. I love these. Look. Okay. Right. Oh, my gosh, everybody. You can have sprinkles. I'll have the teapot. Okay. Sam and Cassie can have some Dundies. This is me opening the Splenda. Oh, my gosh. All right. You guys, it is 9.57 in the morning. (laughs) All right. So here's what you need. You need one packet of Splenda. Okay. Oh, my gosh. Two ounces of scotch and some ice. I mean, I don't know what this is going to taste like. We're going to be here for a bit. (laughs) All right. Here, I'm going to open the scotch. It's really happening, guys. I thought this would be fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Only Cassie knew because she had to get the ice. I was like, do oh they gosh. have ice here? Here we go. That's that's ice going in. Stirry, stirry. Okay. Just so you guys know, this is what my parents think my job is. No! <laughs> don't this say that! <laughs> here I, we go. I'm certain this is disgusting. <laughs> I, we're going to let you know. Is everyone ready? Wait, wait one second. Drink responsibly. Okay, ready? Here, Here we, we go. go. Everybody Cheers. try it. Cheers. 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 Oh, my God, you guys, it's not bad. I don't hate it. <laughs> I don't hate it. Yeah. Splendid. I don't have anything snarky to say. I don't it's hate fine. it. It's really nice. I don't hate it. I would totally drink this if you served it to me at a bar. I am maybe going to ask for this the next time I go this out. This tastes like something Applebee's would have. Okay, wait. Jenna, if you ask for Scotch and Splenda at a bar, I hope it shuts down. <laughs> go to Oh, we need to go to Chili's and ask for Scotch and Splenda. Yes. Oh, my Lord. All right, guys. Cheers. Cheers, cheers everyone. Cheers. All right. To chunking it. 
Chunking it. Sam, Mm -hmm. bringing back the chunk. Wow, it's really kind of good. Um, Michael Scott was onto something. I truly believed it was going to be awful, and I like it. I like it, too. Sam thinks we should do a spinoff podcast called Scotch and Splenda. Where, I can't wait where to we... see what we talk about on that podcast. <laughs> <I know. laughs> All right. Fast fact number three. Shortly after this episode aired, the NBC office website sent out a mass email to all subscribers from Michael Scott about the fact that he was quitting Dunder Mifflin. Yes. And this is what it said. It said, as the manager of Dunder Mifflin Scranton, I learned two things. Everything about the paper business and that Dunder Mifflin is a sucky company. (laughs) I am taking that expertise and creating the Michael Scott paper company. I cannot promise success, but I will promise you the best effing time of your life. (laughs) So anyone who has subscribed to the website got that email. This is so in the vein. I know it's going to come later, but when Jim's like, you know, this is an industry on decline. And Michael's like, I practically invented the decline. (laughs) Like, this is the kind of energy he's going into his new business with. Oh, well, listen, that's all I've got for Fast Facts. A story about Vegas, a little scotch and Splenda, and a surly email from Michael. It's one of my favorite Fast Facts we've ever done. (laughs) The scotch and Splenda might have had something to do with it. Well, why don't we take a break and we'll come back and get into this episode. Let's do it. So this winter, we went on a little ski trip with another family, and we got an Airbnb, which was so wonderful, right? Because you can make your own breakfast in the morning. We could even go there for lunch to warm up. Listen, I always want a kitchen with kids. Yep. I don't want to call room service for some sliced apples. I want to have my groceries. I need a kitchen. Yes. Well, this is why doing the Airbnb thing was so perfect. Yep. Well, this family we were staying with told us that they listed their house on Airbnb back in California. Oh, that's so smart. I know a lot of people that do this. It's like, oh, we want to go to Disneyland. We can Airbnb our place and then use that money to go. It pays for your trip. Yep. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. I'm loving Hungry Root. Oh my gosh, yes, Jenna, we're loving Hungry Root, too. They've got fresh produce, high-quality meat and seafood, snacks, smoothies, sweets, ready-to-eat meals, kids' snacks and meals, and vitamins and supplements. Well, I took the quiz over on Hungry Root, and oh my gosh, they nailed it. One of the things that I really wanted was I wanted a salmon dish that was quick and easy. I said I wanted to cook food in less than 12 minutes. I was very ambitious. This was one of the choices. And they sent me a miso salmon that, oh my goodness, it blew my mind. And it was easy. It was maybe five ingredients. So tasty, so fresh. I loved it. Right now, Hungry Root is offering Office Ladies listeners 40% off your first delivery and free veggies for life. Just go to HungryRoot.com slash OfficeLadies to get 40% off your first delivery and get your free veggies. That's HungryRoot.com slash OfficeLadies. Don't forget to use our link so they know we sent you. When you travel, do you ever think like, oh no, I hope I locked up. Did I leave a window open? Things like that. Well, that's why you should invest in Simply Safe Home Security today. Simply Safe was named Best Home Security System in 2024 by the U.S. News and World Report, and Newsweek ranked it Best Customer Service in Home Security. Well, you all have heard me talk about Simply Safe because it really is simple and it does make me feel safe. We went through the website and we picked exactly what we needed for our home. That's what I really like is you can customize what you need to fit your living space, you know? I love our Simply Safe. Simply Safe has given me and many of my listeners real peace of mind, and I want you to have it too. Get 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com slash office ladies. That's simplysafe.com slash office ladies. There's no safe like Simply Safe. 
right, you guys, we are back. Michael is holding court, finally, in the kitchen. He has everyone's attention. He's telling them the story of how he quit, how he went to New York and quit and told David Wallace, I want you to know this is called the Purple Cold Open in the Kinsey Chronicles of The Office. (laughs) Why is it called the Purple Cold Open? I will tell you, Jenna. Angela Martin is wearing a purple turtleneck and a purple cardigan. Pam is wearing a purple top under her cardigan. Kelly is wearing a purple striped button-down shirt. Oscar has purple squares on his tie and sort of faint purple stripes on his shirt. Stanley has purple stripes on his shirt and purple flowers on his tie. And Kevin also has purple stripes. I will have you know... When I saw this cold open, I noted the numerous jewel tones, but I did not break it down like that, and I applaud you. I just was like, what happened? (laughs) What was Alicia, like, where was her, she was in sort of like a, I don't know, a spring awakening mode of her life. Everyone had purple on in this whole kitchen scene, minus Michael. Everyone else had purple on. Hmm. Just saying. I found it fascinating. Now the episode is going to start. Michael is walking around with one of those gooey, stretchy hands. You know, your kids get them at a county fair. And then they smack them on the window, and that leaves the gooey residue. Michael's walking around, smacking pieces of paper, yanking them back. He messes with Phyllis's hair. I remember Phyllis broke on that. (laughs) Yeah, I do, too. That's why you see her from the back, because she was laughing. And I love how he tucked it back in his suit pocket and just the hand, like, hung down sadly for the rest of the scene. This is also when Michael is drinking his scotch and Splenda. Yeah. We reached out to writer Aaron Shore, the writer of this episode, because we were very curious who wrote Tastes Like Splenda Gets You Drunk Like Scotch. Yeah, we got to know. I mean, it's just too good. And he said that that line was created in a pre-table draft pitch session. So what that means is the writers, they would kind of typically work together to make an outline of each episode. And then a specific writer, in this case, Aaron Schur, would go off and write the whole episode based on that outline. And they usually got like about a week. Well, they would turn in their draft, they would get notes, and then they would also have these pitch sessions. Right. They'll get notes. Sometimes a few of the writers will be put in a pod to pitch on a certain element of the script. Yes. And that is exactly what happened with Scotch and Splenda. A few writers got together and they said, we want a really funny joke for this moment when Michael is walking around with a drink in his hand. And Aaron had saved all of the pitches. Stop it. Oh, my gosh. All of the. Oh, my gosh. What? What? What were they? Okay, so. Kevin says, is that scotch? Yeah. And here are the various pitches that Michael would reply. Yup, from a fire truck-shaped bottle in my office. (laughs) Or, better, Southern Comfort. Or, nope, Diet Pepsi and water and ice and scotch. Or, it's non-alcoholic scotch. And finally, the one they went with. Scotch and Splenda. Tastes like Splenda. Gets you drunk like scotch. And then that is the joke that they ultimately picked for our table read draft, which is the draft that all the actors got and that we would read out loud. I love it. My number two would have been a bottle shaped like a fire truck. I liked bottle shaped like a fire truck as (laughs) well. Because I remember like my dad had like a novelty liqueur that I think it came in a stagecoach. I don't know, but like it just sat on the shelf. Well, the cool thing about those extra lines was then at the table draft, if a... Oh, Angela is... Having a sip of Scotch and Splenda. That's the ice that you hear. (laughs) Because I was like, well, we are talking about Scotch and Splenda. (laughs) It wasn't a joke, folks. We're really drinking it. Um, (laughs) Sipping. Sipping it. We're really sipping it. That's true. You are sipping. Mm -hmm. But what I was going to say is the interesting thing is that those extra jokes, the ones they didn't put in the table draft, they would save in that candy bag document. And then if a joke didn't land at the table read, they might go over there and replace it when it came time for the shooting draft, or they would have us do it on set, all the different alternates. Right. Sometimes I think the writers just wanted to hear them just for fun. (laughs) Even though they knew we weren't going to like use any of them, they would hand you a page. And if we had time that day in our shooting schedule, we would just do a whole bunch of alts. And it was always so fun. So fun. Stanley thinks Michael should start looking for another job. Michael says he has a job. 
To which Andy points out for four more days. Yeah. Andy's like, you kind of got to get your act together here. Well, Michael has a talking head where he is not worried. I mean, what's he going to do? He's going to do a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and he's going to stop worrying about calories. So during this whole montage of, like, people giving Michael advice, there was a scene in the shooting draft that didn't make it. And Kelly walks into his office and she's like, Michael, what are you going to do? You know what I would do? I'd move to Mexico. I'd live on the beach. I'd be naked. I'd make jewelry, have amazing sex, drink lots of margaritas. She just kind of goes off on this whole thing. And while Kelly is rambling on and on about what she would do, he is carving into his desk. Michael was here. Oh, my God. And he really carved into the top of the desk. I was like, did we trash a desk for this, like, scene that never even made it in? And I wasn't the only one that noticed. Olivia C. wrote in and said, in the deleted scenes, they're on the DVD box set, guys. We see that Michael has carved. Michael was here on the desk. Did Steve really carve that into the desk? Olivia, I had the same question, but guess what? Randy Cordray had the answer. He said our production designer, Michael Gallenberg, created a matching desktop out of the exact same similar wood. Wow. I know. That was laminated over the actual desktop because we were shooting scenes out of order and they couldn't have different stages of Michael carving into his desk in the episode because then it wouldn't match. Yeah. So they just had this laminate top they would put on top and then they would take it away. Now, let me ask you this question. Okay. That means that Veda, our script supervisor, would have had a chart. And on that chart, for each scene, it would say carved desk, no carved desk. Mm -hmm. She would have tracked when we should see the carving. Yes. But they didn't know they were going to cut this scene until later. Right. So is it possible that we can see this carving on his desk throughout the episode? Maybe. You'd have to be close, right? Like over his shoulder. Yeah. But... I mean, probably what a headache for Veda, <laughs> like keeping track of all that. And then it didn't even make it in. I'll have you know, Angela, at 2 minutes 48 seconds, we had a fan catch from Flora K. There is a blooming plant at reception. Flora, good catch. I knew it would make your heart happy, Angela. I saw it too, Flora. You know, the last time we had a blooming plant at reception was beach games. So you think this is connected to Pam? Pam is going to have her moment here. She's going to have another moment. She's going to bloom again today, like in Beach Games. Now, I know we talked to Steve Ducherer, who told us that it was a coincidence that it was a blooming plant for Beach Games. But Steve Ducherer, again, with the blooming plant, Pam is blooming. I think it was subconscious. This is that group mind thing. That's what I was going to say. This is creative group mind. Well, Michael is now going to move into the kitchen. I guess he's hungry, mm -hmm. so he's looking for some food. He's a little tipsy, and he's going to go, like, raid the refrigerator. Who hasn't been there? Come on. <laughs> In the script, it just said that Michael takes out a container clearly labeled Phyllis. Mm -hmm. But you know how he's eating it, and then he's like, Blech, Phyllis. None of that was in the script. Oh, really? Nope. Steve just improvised that. Oh, that's so good. Andy comes in, and he wants to give Michael some wine as a farewell gift. It's actually a really nice gesture. It is. And, and Michael just doesn't give a crap. Michael would love it if Jim came in and gave him a bottle of wine. I know. But, you know, it's Andy. So he's like, ugh, I already have wine. This next scene I loved because Michael's sitting on the couch by front reception, and a man walks in. He's interviewing for Michael's job. Yeah, Michael is kind of on the couch reading a novel. I zoomed in on it. I tried to see what it was. It's like a woman in a martini glass. It's clearly like a, a sort romance of, novel. No, it seems like one of those like books for women about, you know, claim your space oh. sort of book. Yeah, yeah, like, like a, a motivational. Yes, that's what it looked like to me. I want you to know a couple of things. At 4 minutes, 16 seconds, the blooming plant is on the move. It's been moved to the other side of the reception desk. So you can see the couch better. Yep. The man who's interviewing for the job is named Mr. Isaac Sylvie. And Aaron sure told us that he was named after Aaron's kids, Isaac and Sylvie. Isn't that so cute? Yes. He had originally named the character Mr. Engbritson. But Paul Lieberstein told him, no, name him after your kids. So that's how he got the name Mr. Isaac Sylvie. He was played by David Grant Wright, 
who has appeared in several episodes of Better Call Saul, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, and Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and pretty much every soap opera you can imagine. David is an incredible actor, and I read his bio. He is a 27-year cancer survivor. Oh, wow. He wrote a one-man show called With Flying Colors about his cancer experience, which he has performed for the last 25 years, raising thousands of dollars for cancer patients. Good human alert. Yes. Good human alert. That's fantastic. Well, in this scene, Michael finds out that Isaac has driven all the way from Philly. And Michael's like, gosh, that's a heck of a drive. And Isaac said, yeah, well, this is one of the few places hiring. It's, it's rough out there. And you sort of see the realization coming over Michael's face. Jenna, there was more to the scene. It, it was so good. I read it in the shooting draft. He has his resume out, Isaac. And Michael's like, can I see that? Michael is so blown away. He finds out that Isaac was the president of the company he used to work at. Wow. Yeah. And now he's driving all the way from Philly for a regional manager position. Michael is so blown away by his resume. He says, can I keep this? (laughs) And then he really starts to spiral. And he goes to see Toby and asks Toby for resume advice, like how to beef up his resume. This made it into the deleted scenes. It's so good. Can we hear it? Hey, Toby, I have a real quick question for you. It's about a resume. Sure. So we might start with, so your most recent thing, you know, uh, summary of achievements. What have you done here at Dunder Mifflin? Regional manager, Dick Watt. Okay, that's your title. You know, how how would you actually describe what you did? Changed things. Ushered in a new era of love and comedy in the workplace. Hired many, fired none. Made money, lost money, learned to stop counting. This is our moment. This is our time. This next part should be sung, if possible. That made me laugh so hard. The scene continued. Toby said, how would you describe what you did? And Michael has this speech, and it didn't make it in. This is Michael talking about himself. Michael Scott always had a strange recipe for success. Two cups of spirit, a half a thing of inspiration, two spoonfuls of love, a water bottle of danger, a pinch of praise, a dash of hopes, a sprinkle of cinnamon, two pats of butter, a box of cake mix, and a little bit of cooking oil. Preheat oven. (laughs) Wait, what am I describing? description of what he did. Okay, that talking head is very funny, uh-huh. but I have to say what I think it's I can scotch tell you and Splenda the scotch. <laughs> because it's so funny to me. Is it not that funny? No, but I've shared a drink with you before, Angela, and you're getting into that. I'm tickled. Ter- you're getting into that. Yes, that territory oh. where you giggle. <laughs> I haven't even had a full scotch and Splenda. No, no, you haven't. And I just have to say one more time. It's so good. It's really good. I know. All right. All right. Let's move on. Yes, let's. We need to talk about this new copier. I guess, you know, we had this whole runner about copier or chairs. We never saw them get their chairs, but they have gotten a new copier now. I did love that for the whole beginning of the episode, it was wrapped in like the blue sort of packaging and no one said anything about it. I just love how things are in the backdrop like that. I do too. Pam has a talking head where she says that they delivered this new copier, but they didn't set it up. So Pam's job today is setting up this copier. This would do me in. I wouldn't be able to do it. I don't like reading instructions. I don't like manuals. When I get any kind of appliance and it comes with a manual, I just stash the manual in a corner. This is reminding me of the document that we got when it was time to do the layout edit of our book. You guys, it was like building a small Cessna. Are we allowed to take a picture of that and put it on the pod? Because to me, it looked like like some sort of scientific formula. Mm -hmm. It was all of these instructions for how to make a comment on the PDF. Mm -hmm. And when I looked at it, my brain exploded and you got on the phone with me and said, I can't do it. I can't do it. Lady, I can't do it. I will mess it up. So we got on the phone together, and every time you had a note, I read the document, and I carefully (laughs) made the note on the PDF. So if you buy our book, 
office BFFs. Just know that we now know how to, well, we, Jenna, knows how to do a note on an elaborate layout craziness document. And I learned how to build a Cessna airplane. Yeah, but we cared and we put that love and care into our book. I'm buzzed. I know. (laughs) While Pam is going to be putting this copier together, Kevin is constantly bugging her. And there's a lot of Pam sass here. Yeah. I loved shooting this scene with Brian. We shot it first thing in the morning. They would do this when there were scenes at reception in particular that didn't feature the rest of the office. That meant nobody had to be in the background and you guys didn't have to come in so early. So Brian and I came in first thing. It was probably 6.37 in the morning when we shot this scene, but I loved it. We had so much fun and I got to sass him. I think that we learn that in the accounting department, Kevin is tasked with all the menial tasks. Like, go make photocopies. (laughs) Go do this. You're so right. That's why he cares so much about the copier. It's his one job. When Pam talks about how a copier goes through a lot, I loved the runner of things that happened to this copier. Oh, yes. We didn't talk about that. It's so great. First of all, Creed puts coins into it. (laughs) So right there, Creed is like probably messed with all the mechanisms. And Oscar's like, I think it's 75 cents. So he keeps feeding coins into it. And then, of course, Bandit chews on the wires. And then Kevin dumps a whole cup of coffee over the entire copier. It's no wonder this thing doesn't work. I know. I had a question for Randy Cordray at 5 minutes, 12 seconds. When we see Bandit chewing on the copier cord, I was like, Randy, do we know who the cat actor was? Because you have this whole list of the cat actors. It looked like Bandit. Well, Bandit was played in this scene by the ever-reliable Milkman. Oh, Milkman. Oh, Milkman. Randy said it took several days of training to get Milkman to actually chew on the cord, which was painted with sardine oil. Oh, wow. The training of the cat, the labor, the transportation costs, the cat rental for this episode, for this very simple three-second insert shot cost us, any guesses, anyone? Three seconds, a cat licking a cord. Any guesses? Cassie? She guessed $2,000. Sam? I'm going to go big and say $10,000. I'll hit it in the middle at seven. $3,710. Cassie gets it. Cassie wins. Closest without going over. Mm -hmm. And once again, we use Bob Dunn's Animal Rentals from Silmar, California with Denise Sanders, our lead cat trainer. Once again, a simple little three-second joke Mm -hmm. took somebody a week to make happen. Yeah. We are going to go to Jim's desk, and over his shoulder, we can hear monster sounds coming from Michael's office. And I love this line when Jim says, it's monster.com, singular. He knew. He knew. We actually got a lot of mail about this bit. Okay. People wondered, where did we get the monster sounds? Well, as it turns out, it was none other than our post-production supervisor's voice, Jake Oust, Making monster sounds. Get out. Yes, Jake. Jake. (laughs) I guess he just recorded monster sounds into a microphone. And then our sound supervisor, Bobby Maxton, took the recording, added some reverb and some scary special effects. And that is how we got our fakey monsters.com website. Jake, really good job with the monsters. I agree. This leads us into a Michael talking head. Where he says, if you work in paper long enough, you get to know the players, and he's going to start calling some paper companies to Mm -hmm. maybe, you know, get a job. Well, we find out there's only one on his list. Are you ready for the saddest outgoing message ever? Yeah. Here it is. Hi, you've reached Prince Paper. We are sad to inform you that after 40 years of serving the community, we are no longer in business. Thank you for your support and May God bless you. Bye. Yeah. Oh, that was harsh. That was Prince Family Paper, the small family-owned paper business that Michael and Dwight have clearly put out of business. The little girl at the end. Bye. I'll have you know, they were uncredited, but we brought back the original cast members of the Prince Family to do the voices 
That is Dan Desmond as Roger Prince and Emily Ray Argenti as his granddaughter, Rebecca Prince. Like when I heard that again, I mean, I knew it was coming, right? Mm -hmm. I knew it was coming, but still, I was like in his voice waivers. I was like, ooh. I know. Well, Michael needs to now figure something out. So at 16 minutes, 49 seconds, he's going to start throwing stuff at Jim to get his attention so that Jim will come in his office. Yeah, he could have just called Jim, but instead he's going to throw a koosh ball at him. Well, Jim goes in his office and Michael's like, close your eyes because I'm going to tell you something. And Jim will not close his eyes. And this is when Michael reveals he's going to start his own paper company. Mm -hmm. Leading to your favorite couplet that we talked about earlier. Yeah. Do you know how the industry is in decline? Do I? I practically invented decline. (laughs) He goes on to tell Jim he has a name for the company, and he wants Jim maybe to be a part of it. He's very excited. It's a big no from Jim. I'll have you know, at 6 minutes, 44 seconds, I spotted something. What? The desk? No. Oh. Do you remember, in Season 3, The Job Part 1, I noticed that the outlet in Michael's office, the one under the big photo on his sidewall, was upside down. Correct. And in that podcast, we learned that you can install outlets any way you want, and they still work. Yeah. You can put them sideways. You can put them up and down. Yeah. I also said in that episode that I would be tracking outlets. I'll have you know. You didn't forget. I didn't forget. And if you look at that outlet, it is now facing up. It is facing the correct way. Ta-da! I kept my word. Well, you did. And the outlet is now up and down. There you go. Outlet tracker, Jenna Fisher. Mission accomplished. Charles is going to interrupt. Jenna is taking a drip of her drink of her scotch and Splenda. I've been drinking water. Busted. What? Yeah, I just saw you drink. (laughs) Charles is going to come in. And once again, Jim is in the wrong place at the wrong time. And he breaks up their meeting. Yeah, because he says, Michael has given his two weeks notice. Jim, did you also give your two weeks notice? And Jim's like, like, nope, nope, nope. nope, I'm going to go have a seat. We Um, just need to find a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. So, so. um, I literally just said, I just want to say something. (laughs) We need to, I was going to say, we need to find a way to get to break. But you said to get to drink. (laughs) That's what I said. (laughs) We need to find a way to get to drink. You guys, I want you to know it is 10.48 (laughs) a.m. Maybe we should go to break and drink some water. I think we should go to break and drink some water. We'll be right back. Well, folks, you know I have a lot of family in Texas, and I just want you to know If you travel to Texas, there are vast landscapes, cultures, regions, destinations, activities that allow for an infinite number of different travel experiences. You can have fun in the sun. Texas has 350 miles of coastline. That's right. Or if you like more of a rugged vacation, there are campgrounds, hiking trails, state parks, and the food. Can we talk about the food? Tex-Mex. And barbecue. There's live music, art museums, cowboy experiences. Come on. Right now, Travel Texas offers a -a one-of-the-kind online trip builder that allows users to generate a custom visually-led trip matched to their unique interests. So you go in there and you click your interests and it'll say, here's where you want to go in Texas. Mm Mm-hmm. Visit TravelTexas.com slash get your own to get the only trip to Texas that matters, yours. That's TravelTexas.com slash get your own. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed to connect with candidates faster by scheduling, screening, and messaging. And Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 23 hires were made on Indeed every minute, according to Indeed Data Worldwide. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash OfficeLadies. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash OfficeLadies right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash OfficeLadies. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Okay, we are back. We have hydrated ourselves. Angela's eating some cheese. Mm-hmm. Jenna drank some water. We're going to be very serious podcasters now. We're serious. Don't worry. By the way, I wanted to start, before we jump back into the episode, I just want to give a big plug to BJ Novak's new show on Hulu called The Premise. It is so good. I've seen every episode. BJ, you are killing it. Every episode is standalone. It's like an anthology show with a different cast. Mm -hmm. He's directed many of them. He's written them. You know what I didn't expect? So I just saw the first one. BJ starts it. Yes, he has an introduction moment. Yeah, and I was like, oh my God, BJ, I didn't expect to see you. Well, they're great. BJ is one of the smartest people I know. Him and Mindy are Two of just, the smartest people in the room. Yes, always. And he has this way of articulating complex thoughts in a really... Relatable way. And brilliantly funny way. Yeah. Relatable way. And brilliantly funny way. Yeah. He's the guy who wrote Diversity Day. That's all you need to know. He's also the guy that wrote the book with no pictures. It's one of our kids' favorite books, and we've read it to them over and over over the years. The sort of scope of BJ's brilliance is really amazing. Yeah. BJ, we love you. We, we love, love your you. show. Check it out. The premise on Hulu. And if you have a youngin, the book with no pictures, you will love it. Back to the episode. Pam is on the ground with this copier manual. And Dwight comes over. This is a really cool shot. This was directed by Paul Lieberstein. This was his idea to put the camera on the floor with Pam. I thought it was a really great idea. You know, at a certain point, there's only so many ways to shoot this documentary, and he found a new one. I think Paul liked to have some of the artsy shots, because do you remember when Jan goes to comfort Michael, and he's sitting in the train? Like, yeah. And you just saw this faraway shot of his feet. Yeah. So I think Paul likes those interesting shots. In the next scene, Michael goes up to Pam. Kind of sneaky. He wants her to help him make a order form for his new company. Which is basically Dunder Mifflin's order form, but with Michael Scott Paper Company. In the corner. In place of Dunder Mifflin. Right. She's like, okay, all right, let me think about this. And she comes up with this way that they could kind of do this. scan it. Yeah. Yeah. And he says, I was thinking maybe we would just tape it. Put a little piece of paper over it, tape it. She's like, okay. I feel like this is the moment that starts Pam's storyline of feeling very easily replaceable. Because Mm -hmm. she's been studying and studying this manual and thinks she's kind of had this great idea about how to use this new information. And it's just like that, replaced. With some tape. Mm -hmm. At 8 minutes and 41 seconds... I want you to know, on Pam's desk, Nick is still in the office all day. Well, he's, The post-it is still there. He's, Nick he's, has been in the office for three episodes now. Nick All in, day. Yeah. Nick in office. All right. Now we're going to get into this really wonderful scene in the conference room. The Angela-Kelly rivalry is going strong. Kelly is talking to Charles about how she has to leave early on Tuesdays to pick up her little sisters from school because, you know, they're kind of like the Kardashians. Angela's going to come in because she wants to show Charles that brochure for the accounting seminar she was telling him about. Yeah, well, you remember he has a degree in accounting. Charles is like, did Michael just allow anyone in his office at any time? Okay, so this was in the script. I looked it up to see how much was ad lib and wasn't. And there was a prompt for Angela and Kelly to talk at the same time. And we did add a little bit more. Mm -hmm. But basically, we both just were going to gush like, oh, yeah, he was like, come on in. I felt like this was super animated, Angela. Well, you know, she is turning on the charm for Mr. Charles Minor. I know. She said there was a Sunday bar at the accounting seminar, but she didn't eat any, you know, to stay trim. And then Kelly shoes her out and turns to Charles and says, yeah, she's really special. You know, she's uh, turning 50 this year. (laughs) I was actually 37 when we filmed this. (laughs) I am 50 now. You know, when we were trading messages with Aaron Shore, he wrote us about a prank that Idris Elba played on the writers before he came to set. 
Yeah. Now, he actually said, I don't know if this was a prank that Mindy played on us, pretending that it was from Idris, or if it was actually from Idris, but I guess they got this email that was like, listen, Idris gets really upset if you mispronounce his name, and his name is pronounced Idris Ilba. (laughs) It's so ridiculous. And they wrote it out, Idris Ilba. Yeah, they sounded it out. But then a bunch of them were like, I swear that's not right. And so for the first week that Idris was on the show, all of the writers were afraid to call him by his name. (laughs) And then they found out that this was not true at all. Number one, that his name is Idris. And number two, that he doesn't get mad if you mispronounce his name. But I thought that was really funny. Idris, was that you or was it Mindy? By the way, Idris, we have tried to reach out to you. We don't know how to get a hold of you. We'd love for you to be on the show. We did find some of your peeps, but they said you're you're busy. Very busy, I you're guess. Busy. You're making two movies and you're promoting another movie. You're busy. We're here for you, Idris. Idris, anytime. anytime. If you would like a Scotch and Splenda. We're your gals. With two gals who love to Google. We're here for you. Well, Charles has a talking head where he just kind of owns it. He's like, look, I know the effect I have on women. That's a meme. Yeah. It's so funny. Well, Aaron Schur shared with us, you guys, that that talking head was inspired from a real interaction he had. He said there was an actor he was working with, no names, he he wouldn't divulge the name, big star, who they were pitching a joke to. And the actor was like, this joke would never work because, I mean, I I know the effect I have on women. (laughs) And Aaron saved that. It went in his brain. And Charles had it in a talking head. I really wish we knew the actor. But Aaron... Gentleman that he is, did not say. Maybe if we took him out for a scotch and Splenda, he'd Maybe tell he us. would tell us. Immediately after the scene, Kelly is not going to give up, guys. And in the deleted scenes, there's a little bit of what I want to call a flirty in the break room. Ooh. Excuse me. Hello. Hey. Having a nice stay here? Great. You must be from Jamba Juice. Uh, what? What's that? It's a juice company because you're a smoothie. Okay. Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. Sorry about that. Ah! Uh, why do I ever talk? Just shut up! Shut up! Shut up! So she has this really lame pickup line, and then immediately just hates herself <laughs> and goes in the corner and is like, "Ah! Why did I do that?" Well, this leads us into a scene that I will call. Awkward in the kitchen. Oh, so awkward. Michael is still trying to recruit people for his business. And Andy does that thing, you know, that people do when they're uncomfortable. They either sing their answer or they do an accent. I think I'm the accent person. I sing stuff. Yeah, when you don't want to, like, really tip your hand. Yeah. So Andy's like, oh, oh, interesting idea. (laughs) Like, he does some ridiculous (laughs) accent. But you would be like, that's a very interesting offer. Yeah. I mean, the other day I did it while we were working together. When we were working on that document. Oh, yeah. I was like, this PDF editing is difficult. And then I was like, are you okay? Because it (laughs) it sounds like you're about to spiral. I was like, yeah. (laughs) Well, it gets only more cringy because now Dwight comes in. But Michael does not ask Dwight to join his company. But it is also clear that Dwight wouldn't say yes anyway. Yeah. So he's like, I've got the farm and a thing. And let's put a pin in it. Yeah, let's definitely put a pin in that. Mm. Yeah. Well, we got a lot of mail about this kitchen scene. A lot of people felt like it was out of character for Dwight to not want to join Michael's paper company. And also, people wondered, why didn't Michael want him to join? And I just didn't know if we wanted to discuss. I have my thoughts. Let me hear them. Dwight is a survivalist. And he doesn't think Michael's company is going to survive. Mm. So... Ultimately, even though he loves Michael, he's not going to go somewhere where he won't survive, right? Yeah. So I think he's very practical, so he's not going to go with Michael. But I'm not sure why Michael doesn't want Dwight. Do you have any thoughts? You know, that is a really good question. I definitely see why Dwight would say no, but why Michael doesn't ask, I'm not quite sure. Yeah. Do you guys have theories? Yeah, send us your theories. We'll add them to a revisited. 
But Michael is going to ask Oscar. And the way he's going to do that is by putting a note in his sandwich. A piece of paper that he bites into. Don't worry, it's sterile. Just saying sterile doesn't mean it's sterile. I loved that line. <laughs> it's like just saying bankrupt doesn't mean <laughs> you oh, yeah. declared bankruptcy. Exactly. Uh, Michael gets Oscar to meet him outside. And Oscar immediately starts offering very practical advice about how most new businesses don't turn a profit for the first two years. And, you know, can he afford that? Can he afford to make no money for two years? Right. Well, Michael's like, hey, hey, stop convincing me. You got the job (laughs) with all your number lingo. But ultimately, Oscar's a no. And that means that he has to move on to Stanley, who he's going to stalk outside the bathroom. Outside? He's inside. I guess outside the stall. I don't know how urinals work, but I imagine he walked up (laughs) while he was just peeing because Stanley's like, I'm urinating. Michael keeps talking to him. Stanley's like, no. Michael has then a very sad talking head where he's like, you know what? No one said yes to prom, but I still had a good time. Guess what? What? Pam fixed the copier. After four hours, she she did it. She didn't let it beat her. No, she did not. She knows everything about this machine. Phyllis is going to copy a piece of paper. And Pam is like, did it work? How is it? And Phyllis is like, fine. (laughs) Fine. So this whole copier storyline felt very familiar to me. Having worked many temp jobs, having fixed many copiers in my real life, and it just felt to me like it was written by someone who also had this personal knowledge. Yeah. So I had to ask Aaron, have you had experience with copiers? You know, because so many of his real-life stories have wound up in our scripts, like running past the speed meter. Yeah, and this whole copier story has so many details. So as it turns out, yes, yes, he told us that he tempted in a ton of offices when he was a struggling stand-up in New York, and he quickly learned that if you could unjam the copier, you held the power. Yeah. He actually said, quote, you were like an office magician, a David Copperfield opening the cabinet of mysteries. And only a person who has done the copier thing, I feel like, totally gets it. So I totally get it. He said that he would actually copy the user manuals and take them home and read them over the week. That's the part that really got me. He would, like, learn everything from the manual. Aaron, I feel you. Thank you for writing this runner for Pam, because I was able to draw on a lot of my real-life experience when it came to performing this copier story. Well, I don't know. Did Michael leave the fakey order form in the copier? Charles finds it. How does he find it? We don't know. But he's going to get Hank, and they're going to escort him out the building. I am sorry. I am not sure that there is a recurring character that I love more than Hugh Dane as I Hank. know, I know. When Michael's like, um, Hank, come on, escort Charles out. And Hank's like, come on, man. I know. Just come on. <laughs> He's so good. So good. Michael really wanted to make a farewell speech. Charles is not going to have that. And everyone watches him as he leaves. Mm-hmm. And he's like yelling things from his car, right? He's yelling from the parking lot and everyone's looking down and they're like, what's he saying? We can't hear what he's saying. This is what it said in the script. All right. Michael walks toward his car. Everybody watches from the conference room above. Michael stops at his car and looks up at the Dunder Mifflin windows. And then he yells this. This is it. This is goodbye. Forever. Ah! It's such a nice day out here. Freedom! I'm already so happy. I can do anything I want right now. I'm going to go for coffee. Ha ha! (laughs) That is what was in the script. And then it says he screeches his tires and drives off. The camera follows his car. Michael parks just a short distance around the corner, gets out of his car, sneaks back into the parking lot and into the building. We get to hear a lot of people's opinions on Michael leaving. My favorite is probably Toby. Mm-hmm. He says, Michael is like a movie on a plane. Not great, but something to watch. And then when the movie's over, you're like, well, now what? Yes. BJ wrote that talking head. Very funny. And we got a piece of mail about it. What? Someone wrote in, and I'm so sorry I did not write down your name, 
to say that a missed opportunity in this episode was Toby conducting Michael's exit interview. Oh, wouldn't you have loved to see that? And I mentioned it to Aaron and Aaron said, oh, but he was escorted out. They like to believe that if Michael hadn't been escorted out, he would have had his exit interview with Toby right. before he left. Plus, they had written a pretty great Michael-Toby scene where Toby helps him with his resume that didn't make it in. Yes. Well, as everyone is having these really funny talking heads, Creed had one that was in the shooting draft, and it didn't make it in, and I have to read it to you. Okay. Creed says, Old Creedy outlives yet another boss. Time to put a marble in the box. And then Creed pulls out a cigar box out from his desk and puts a marble in it. There are four marbles in that box. (laughs) What is that? (laughs) What is that? Is that amazing? Well, like you said, Angela, Michael is not leaving. He actually army crawls Mm -hmm. through the front door, through the office. He goes over to accounting. This was a really fun scene for us to shoot. It was really hard not to laugh. We played around with how I shut the drawer, and I ultimately shut it with my foot. And it was just, like, so fun. (laughs) Steve really tore up his elbows and his knees, though. Yeah. Doing that. He got, like, a rug burn. Yes. And Randy told us that they offered him elbow and knee pads. Uh And Steve was like, it's fine. I'll do it. And he did two takes without the elbow and knee pads. And he totally tore up his elbows and knees. He was so committed. Also, Randy told us, you know, when he throws that highlighter? At Jim? Yeah. Yeah. That was not a real highlighter. That was a fakey highlighter. Oh, so it wouldn't, like, hurt someone? Yes. Remember when Michael throws the pen at Toby's forehead? And, and it was Phil like had a... to make a rubber pen? <laughs> yeah. Phil had to make a rubber highlighter, and it cost $850. Whoa. Yep. Michael wants everyone to go with him, and he starts to pull at Phyllis's chair. <laughs> and you see it from the point of view of Charles, right? You see Phyllis kind of, like, lurching, right? Yeah. Like, to the side. If you watch the bloopers, you guys... And I remember this happening. The first time we did this scene, Steve yanks on Phyllis's chair and she fell right out of it. Oh, yeah, I remember And that. they didn't stop rolling. You know, Michael just goes, <laughs> oh, my God, Phyllis, are you okay? Are you okay? And Phyllis kind of snorts, laughs, and she says, yes, yes. But it's in the bloopers and it's great. Now, Charles is going to find Michael. Yeah. He comes out of his office and they have this really awkward exchange. Yeah, like where it's going to get physical. All right, in the deleted scenes, Jenna, Charles finds Michael stealing office supplies in a box and chases him through the kitchen. Michael drops the box of supplies to, like, throw him off. You know, maybe Charles (laughs) will trip over it. And then he, like, last-ditch effort just grabs the big container of cheese balls and makes a run for it. (gasps) Oh, my gosh! That's why we're going to have cheese balls later Yes, in Michael's paper company. Because in the deleted scenes, that's what he leaves with is the cheese balls. (laughs) I love it. I know. I wish it had made it in. So for me, when Michael's like, who's with me? Who's coming with me? This is his Jerry Maguire moment. Instead of a goldfish, it's a bunch of cheese balls. That is perfect. I thought we had to hear Jerry's moment and then Michael's moment. This moment will be the moment of something real and fun and inspiring in this God-forsaken business. And we will do it together. Who's coming with me? Who's coming with me? Who's coming with me? (coughs) Who's coming with me besides Flipper here? I will go with you. And now for Michael and Pam's moment. This is your future. Hello. I am your future. You are older and you are very happy now. Because you went with Michael Scott, right? So everybody, come on down. And let's just crawl out of here together, all right? Come on, are you, are you doing your best here? Are you being the best that you can be? All right, everybody who's gonna go with me, I want you to stomp your foot. Oh no. What? I'm going with him. I mean, come on. Oh, it was so Jerry Maguire. 
By the way, I forgot about the goldfish in Jerry Maguire, and I'll have you know that when we get to Michael Scott Paper Company, not only do we have those cheese puffs, but Michael has a goldfish on his desk. Come on! Yep. Well, fans were very split on this episode. A lot of people loved this turn of events of Michael starting his paper company and Pam going with him. But other people really thought that it was selfish of Pam to quit without talking to Jim first. Well, we talked to Aaron Schur about this, and he said two things. First of all, he said in a future episode, spoiler alert, Vikram from Mm -hmm. the telemarketing firm is going to join Michael Scott Paper Company. Yes. He wrote this talking head for Vikram that got cut, but it explained why Vikram decided to join Michael Scott Paper Company. And it went like this. When you put your telemarketing career on the line, you haven't put much on the line. And Aaron said he felt like that kind of summed up Pam as well. Right. That Pam wasn't quitting much of a job at all. Well, if she could be replaced by some invisible scotch tape. Yeah. Right? Yeah. There was also a line that Aaron wrote to explain this business of Pam not talking to Jim before making this decision, a little couplet of dialogue that got cut, where Jim said to Pam, shouldn't we have talked about this first? And Pam said, you blindsided me with a house. Ooh. And Jim said, you're right, I'll bring your stuff home. So he did address it, but it ended up getting cut. I think it was the right move to cut it, because it seems like, I don't know, a real thing Pam is holding on to that I don't think she is. No, I don't think so. As soon as Jim showed her the house, she loved it. She felt cared for and loved. She took it on, and I think she's been very happy ever since. So I'm glad that they didn't pin that as some sort of lingering resentment for Pam. Yeah. Pam catches up to Michael in the parking lot. She says she's coming along, but she wants to be a salesman, not a receptionist. And Jim's kind of surprised by that. He's like, oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And everyone is gathered again up in the conference room, and they're looking down as Pam and Michael walk away. And as they're walking away, you can see the doubt. You see this change of them being from triumphant to kind of doubt. Right. Well, a lot of people liken this ending to the ending of The Graduate. And spoiler alert to anyone who's never seen The Graduate, but at the end of the movie, the character of Benjamin, who's played by Dustin Hoffman, crashes the wedding of his love, Elaine, and the two of them are running away from the church. They're laughing together, and then they jump onto this city bus, and it's, oh, it's just so exciting, and they take their seat, and while they're sitting there, their expressions kind of slowly change. It's a really famous scene. It's so good. Well, in the script, our stage direction for this scene was this. Jim waves as Michael and Pam walk out together. We stay on their faces as they transition from fantasy to reality. So I was not thinking of The Graduate when we shot this. I was thinking of a different scene from the movie The Heartbreak Kid with Charles Grodin. Have you seen it? I mean, a long time ago. Well... Again, I guess, spoiler alert, at the end of this movie, he's finally married the woman of his dreams, Sybil Shepard. He's been chasing her through the whole movie. He sits down at a couch at their reception, and then you just see this sort of, like, malaise wash over his face. And he's like, what now? Because for him, it's all about the joy of the pursuit, but now he did it. Right. And you can tell he's already restless. I thought of that moment because I always think that's such a perfect moment of acting. I mean, he's so good in that movie. But anyway. Well, I will tell you that Tom Cruise and Renee Zellweger in the elevator holding a goldfish also have a moment like that. Hey! (laughs) Because I rewatched the movie last night. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this episode ends with something I absolutely love. There's a conference room scene. Charles is telling everyone we've lost some employees. We're going to have to do some shifting around. And this is so great. Everyone's reactions are so good. He's like, you know what, Kevin, you're going to be answering phones at reception. Everyone in the room is like, what? I know. Kevin? I know. I am very much in the foreground of this shot. That was on purpose because they wanted me to react, obviously. Um, And then he says he's going to put Stanley, who's doing his crossword, barely awake, in charge of productivity. Dwight is like, are you kidding me? Aaron said he pitched that idea. 
of having Charles put Kevin in charge of the phones, which is going to pay off beautifully in the cold open of (laughs) next week's episode. But he said it just makes him giggle to think that, like, Charles's big power move after Michael leaves is putting Kevin in charge of the phones. Like, he's like, I got this place. Yeah, yeah. I know what to do. Speaking of the next episode, ironically, it did not air for two weeks. Oh, no way. Yes, there was a break. (laughs) I just thought that was really funny. People had to really wait. Two weeks. Yeah, this was a big cliffhanger. Also, this is the last episode that Pam was a receptionist ever. Ever? In the office. Mm -hmm. She never returns to the receptionist desk. Let's finish our scotch and Splenda. To Pam, RIP receptionist. I know. Next up, salesman. To Pam. I didn't know that either. When wow. we filmed this episode, I didn't know. I didn't I didn't know that you didn't know at the yeah. time. Yeah. Well, we didn't know what was going to happen. We didn't. Wow. I should have worn my t-shirt today that says I would save the receptionist. Hmm. Yeah. Well, listen, there were a lot of other receptionists that come along, but Pam is always going to be our favorite. Well, thank you, lady. At least here on Office Ladies. Come on. Thank you so much. That was two weeks. Next week is Dream Team. I can't wait to talk about it. Please don't bring any Scotch and Splenda. We can't do it. We can't have a Scotch and Splenda and do that podcast. (laughs) You know what I'll bring next week? A giant pile of French toast. Oh, gosh. Don't bring that either. (laughs) Listen, thank you so much to Aaron Shore and Randy Cordray for giving us all the inside details on this episode. We'll see you next week. Bye, you guys. Thank you for listening to Office Ladies. Office Ladies is produced by Earwolf, Jenna Fisher, and Angela Kinsey. Our show is executive produced by Cody Fisher. Our producer is Cassie Jerkins. Our sound engineer is Sam Kiefer. And our associate producer is Ainsley Bubico. Our theme song is Rubber Tree by Creed Bratton. For ad-free versions of Office Ladies, go to stitcherpremium.com. For a free one-month trial of Stitcher Premium, use code OFFICE. deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. If you have kids or pets, you know stains and odors in your carpet and upholstery are inevitable. But the experts at ChemDry can help. ChemDry removes odors and stubborn stains by sending millions of carbonating bubbles deep within your carpet. ChemDry lifts dirt, urine, and stains to the surface to then be extracted away, giving you a cleaner and healthier home. Call 1-800-CHEMDRY or visit ChemDry.com to connect with your local ChemDry and learn about special offers in your area. That's 1-800-CHEMDRY or visit ChemDry.com today. 